Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 235, being recorded on Thursday, September 10th, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason Scott Show listeners. Jason, you and I have been at this retail thing long enough to know that once Labor Day hit, it hits, it means we focus all our attention and energy into holiday. Uh, so because of that, we have... Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit on this show, but we also have a bunch of news to cover. But before we dig into that, let's talk about some events we have coming up. Yeah, Scott, I feel like you and I are wildly overexposed over the next two months. Well, the Kardashians show was canceled, so I think this is our opportunity to really push and fill that slot. Yeah, I feel like there's a dearth of content out there, and you and I are rising to the occasion. Absolutely. We're here for you, America. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, I am doing six public events in the next two months. Um, so the first one is coming up next week is on Tuesday, September 15th. It's Commerce Live, which is a, a virtual conference that Profiteero launched right after uh, we all started getting uh, locked in for COVID. So this is the third installment and they've been super popular. So I'm, I'm looking forward to to doing this one next week, I'll be uh, moderating a panel on retail or search strategies, and we'll be talking about like what what things have worked and what things have changed as a result of the pandemic. So that that should be interesting, and that's free to anyone that wants to attend. I'll put a link in the show notes. But then Thursday of next week, September seventeenth, you and I are doing a show together. That's going to be a free live stream on LinkedIn. That's hosted by my employer, Publicis. Yeah. Do I have to know French for this one? You do not have to know French, but you do have to know that you'll likely have the potential to get me fired. Ooh. Yeah. I, like I don't know if that's a plus or a minus for you, but you know, uh, if you haven't thought it through, I'm probably living with you if I do get fired. If I wear a beret and talk about French fries, is that is that enough to get you fired? Freedom fries, yeah, that would be really, yeah. <laughs> and just yell bonjour a lot. <laughs> All right, I'll try not to do those things. I'll yeah. try not to get you fired. I, I can't have that pressure on me. And I, uh, you're a great pod co- podcast co-host, but not sure uh, having you live here is a long-term solution. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also feel like, wow, a lot of things could go wrong exposing you to all my colleagues, my work colleagues and customers. Um, the one thing that I'm pretty confident isn't going to happen is when they fire me, they're not going to come looking for you to replace me. <laughs> um, so that that's next Thursday. That's uh, We'll put a link in there, too. You guys are all uh, welcome to jump in on that. And that's going to be live streamed on LinkedIn. Um, and then the following week, Wednesday, September 23rd, you and I are getting the band back together again. We are uh, doing a keynote together at Digital Day North America, which is uh, the North American event uh, that Retail Global puts on. And uh, for folks that follow the event market carefully, you basically single-handedly started this event, as I understand it. 
Uh, no, there's a, a guy in Australia that started this, and I've been. I actually went to Australia and spoke at it once, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. So it's going to be. It's always good to get outside of the U.S. and see what's going on in e-commerce, and this has got a global feel to it, uh, as is in the name. So it's going to be interesting, and um, you know, a lot of the other speakers are near and dear to my heart in the marketplace world. So you know, we'll be talking a little bit more about marketplaces than we normally do, if that's at all possible. Nice, nice. I'll be relying on you for that content. Um, I just met Phil, the the founder of the show. I didn't mean to imply you were the founder, but I I feel like he has told the story that you were one of the first like excellent pieces of content in that show that really helped him build the audience. Yeah, yeah. Happy to help. Yeah. And so then uh, I will be reciprocating. I should have mentioned this when I when I mentioned that you could get me fired at at, at Publicis. Because on uh, Wednesday, October 7th, so uh, a month from now, you and I will uh, be doing a joint keynote at the Channel Advisor Connect show. So if you embarrass me badly in front of my coworkers, I'll be able to reciprocate. Yeah, yeah. So we have uh, mutually assured destruction, which I think is the best path forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm looking forward to that. I've been going to that event for a number of years, and that has has always been awesome. So sad that we won't see each other in person and, and get to eat some barbecue or anything. But I but uh, I'm sure it's going to be a good event. Um, and then I, uh, th- it will be hard to do as good a job without you. But then I have a couple more events in October on my own. Uh, so Texas A and M has a, a a retail degree program, and they're hosting a retail summit. Uh, on October 8th and 9th. So this will be right after the Channel Advisor event. And uh, I'm doing the keynote on uh, the second morning on October 9th. Uh, pro, pro tip, what they love there is when you uh, start out and you yell, hook them and you do your horns. They love it there. Yeah. I have I have several clients that would love that, but I don't think that's the right mascot for Texas A&M. All right. Give it a shot and let's see what happens. Thanks. Report back. Thanks. You are, you are always looking out for my best interest. I super appreciate that. Uh, and then our friends at Shop Talk are trying a new format event. One of the best parts of Shop Talk has always been the sort of networking and the the peer interactions. And so on October 20th through the 22nd, Shop Talk is going to be hosting this interesting new meetup format where they sort of match um, subject matter experts together with practitioners and like have a bunch of uh, conversations in uh, – on specific topics. So I'll be one of the experts that you can match with. So please don't make me uh, uh, feel like the, the last girl at the dance, like uh, uh, sign up for that uh, free shop talk meetup thing and, and pick me. Awesome. Wow. Blatant, uh, blatant uh, request. There. Yeah, I'm begging. <laughs> uh, and so that's a, that's a lot of events. That's a lot of chances to hear you and I, and just in the interest of getting full sympathy from our audience, like everyone should know that for every one of these public events we do, um, you and I have a lot of private corporate events as well. So, so a lot of, a lot of content, a lot of stuff to talk about in the next two months. Yeah. So we'll have six, you'll, uh, between the two of us, I guess we'll have six public events and then we'll have some podcasts in there over the next two months. So there's probably literally, uh, 20 hours of Jason and 15 of me that you can enjoy, uh, over the next two months. Which is about the right ratio. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. The uh, any other events? No, no, no. That feels like quite quite enough. In fact, I was going to ask: Is that the end of the podcast? Did we just do an event podcast? 
Well, another one I'll throw on there, uh, because it wouldn't be a Jason Scott show if we didn't talk a little Star Wars, is Mandalorian Season 2 is coming out October 30th. So I think I propose we do a binge uh, podcast simul watch with every with all three people that would be into that. <laughs> <laughs> including your son. So I was going to say, fun. I feel like I'm the second most excited person in my house about this. I, I feel like uh, my, my five-year-old toddler is like uh, completely signed up for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll put it out there and we'll, we'll see who, uh, who waves at the flag on that one. Awesome. One follow-up question there. It's not going to be bingeable, right? Like they're, they're Disney's not going to release them all at once. There's going to be a weekly thing, right? I don't know. You know, I think they did that the first time. To milk signups, but they've done a bunch of the other stuff they've done, I think, has come out simultaneously. So it'd be interesting. I don't know. That's a good question. I actually have not seen anyone comment on that. Uh, Well, maybe we'll just binge the first show. (laughs) Is it a binge if you just watch one show? Probably not. Sure. We'll we'll do a talk commentary on the first show. Uh, So some of the big news this week I wanted to get your, your hot take on is there's been a lot going on around Amazon and grocery. Um, one of the more interesting ones was there was this larger format uh, store called Fresh. Uh, and uh, if listeners will recall, one of the cool differentiators is the dash cart. Um, so there was actually one of these is opened with limited availability and a reporter got in there and had a really interesting report. And there was we we're talking about it on Twitter, but I wanted to get your, your, your take here. Um, and then also what else you're hearing around Amazon grocery. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it. COVID has been a big boon to digital grocery in general. Like the, depending on how you count, there was a 3% of grocery was via e-commerce pre-COVID. And at the moment it's tracking at about 12%. Um, and even Amazon, which was obviously the most digital of the grocers uh, pre-COVID has said that their, their digital grocery business has tripled uh, since COVID. So not surprising that there are a lot of new um concepts emerging in the in the omni channel and digital grocery space most of these were in progress already at amazon but it it, uh it's no coincidence that they're all getting uh brought to fruition now so as you mentioned the the biggest news is a new grocery concept so this is amazon fresh so it's a completely separate concept from whole foods uh the it's a thirty five thousand square foot store in um uh, a suburb of Los Angeles, 35,000 square feet is considerably larger than any of the, the Amazon branded stores that have opened in the past, like go or, or four star. Um, and the price point of the, the food items is going to be lower than whole foods. So whole foods tends to only carry, um, premium and healthy products. Uh, that, so this Amazon, uh, grocery store will carry all the, the main consumer products, so Campbell's, Kraft, Coca-Cola, it'll carry stuff at lower prices. It will still have the the formerly Whole Foods uh, private label brand 365. So first thing is it's a, a, a more affordable grocery concept from Amazon. So that alone would be interesting. Um, it does not have the Go technology, so you can't just load up your cart and walk out. But what it has is scan and go. So the carts have scanners built into them. You can scan each item as you put it into the cart, and then you don't have to go to a checkout at the end. You can just uh, walk walk right out of the store with all the items that you have scanned. That's a more traditional flavor of self-checkout than the fancy Go stores. Um, 
but in Amazon's case, it's built into the cart, which is kind of cool. So you don't have to use your phone. There's there's a fancier camera built built right into the Amazon Dash cart. As you pointed out to me on Twitter, uh, there's no paper price tags in the store. They're all digital fact tags um, for pricing and product information and live ratings and reviews. Part of the reason that they're using digital there is Amazon changes prices so much and they want to have the same price online that they have in store. So they had to use the digital tags. Um, and so in the aggregate, it's all kind of interesting. There's been some controversy over, you know, how popular the dash cards will be. They're not huge. So you, you know, you, they're not as big as a traditional Kroger cart that could carry five or six bags worth of groceries. They can only carry like two bags of groceries. So some people were sort of surprised at that. Um, and the thing that no one has talked about, and again, we haven't gotten a chance to go visit the store ourselves yet, uh, in looking at the floor plans for this store, it looked like the back of the store was reserved for an automated picking system for deliveries. So what we would call a micro-fulfillment center. And I'm pretty bullish on these things. I think they're an important part of making digital grocery profitable. Um, and so I was curious to see how Amazon would integrate one of these in their first store. And nobody's talked about the experience of that yet. So I don't, I don't know if they actually have it or don't have it. Um, you, you certainly can see that products are, are inventoried on traditional shelves in the store. So if they have a micro fulfillment center, it means they have cans of soup in the fulfillment center and on the shelf. So they have them in two inventory locations, which would be a little bit surprising. So, uh, uh, I'll look forward to, to getting more firsthand reports from that store. Yeah. And I think the, the, the Amazon's response on the cart was that this whole store is designed for kind of an urban setting, kind of a bodega kind of a thing where you go shopping more frequently and thus you need less bags was kind of their response, which was which was interesting. Yeah. And I believe they probably did do some research in January that said for this store and this demographic that that, uh, you know, the average shop is this big. Um, it's interesting. The store is not super adapted to COVID. Right. So. In COVID, people are shopping less and buying a lot more and buying a lot bigger sizes. So that January research that they used to design the store may not be um, the most current. So that will be a little interesting. They have a lot of like self-service amenities that retailers are mostly moving away from at the moment, like salad bars. Um, so they, they went live with a salad bar section and and it's closed because of COVID. Um I, you know, people were freaking out about the size of the card and, oh, it's going to fail because the card's too small. I, you know, I think the cart might end up being too small, but I think that's an easy thing to fix. Um, and, you know, the standard deviation of shop sizes is very large. Like there'll be people that'll walk in there and buy four items and there'll be people that try to buy 120 items and they'll push two carts around. Yeah. As a software guy, I like the cart because it's got this cool, you know, um, it's got either a barcode scanner, an image processor, or both, and then it's got a scale. So, you know, as you're adding things to the cart in one of these two bags, it's got a little LCD display on there that's calculating what's in your literal cart. Um, and then you can just essentially pay there, it looks like, and walk out. So that's, that's kind of a clever idea. And um, so I, I'm intrigued to see what technologies the cart has, and what it's loaded with, and you know, the pictures we've seen show that it has this really big under cart area that's boxed off. So I'm kind of curious what's inside of there. Um, it, if that's a battery, it has like a massive battery kind of component to it that seems like overkill for what we can see is in there. Um, so so I'm excited to one day get hands on it and kind of understand 
more yeah. about what's going on in Southern. Yeah. And just, I mean, I don't, we maybe spent our, too much time on it, but uh, scan and go is not a new idea at, at grocery. Lots of retailers offer it. You can, you can go scan and go at, at uh, Sam's club right now. Uh, but if traditionally you use your phone and that's, problematic it, like the camera isn't totally optimized for taking pictures of barcodes um but also you're only likely to look at that phone screen every time you put something in your cart and try to scan it right so the cool thing about having the scan and go built into the dash cart is there's a screen that's in front of you the whole time and what that lets amazon do is say you're in the ice cream aisle. I see that you have chocolate fudge and sprinkles in your cart already. I can offer you a special promotion for the ice cream I want to sell you or whatever. Not that anyone needs to promote ice cream, but but you get the idea. They can use that screen to do suggestive selling and make offers and things, and it, and it likely will be much more uh, compelling than it would be to make those same offers on your phone that you're only going to glance at occasionally. Um, so... The fact that it probably scans better, the fact that it can weigh, and the fact that it has this marketing screen on it is interesting. And then you and I both know they haven't promoted this, but it's collect. I guarantee you, it's collecting a heck of a lot of data about how people are shopping and what what they looked at and didn't buy, and all those sorts of things that Amazon will 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 monetize at some point. The cart path, exactly. Um, so just to kind of close the loop on this Amazon Fresh concept, which is super interesting. This is the first store that opened in L.A., Woodland Hills. Two more stores in L.A. coming, Irvine and North Hollywood. So there's going to be three of these 35,000-square-foot stores in L.A. They also are opening one right now in Chicago in a suburb near me called Schaumburg. And that's going to be a little bigger store. That's a 43K store. So that's a, a good-sized grocery store um, that I'll get to visit in person, you know, even though I can't get on a plane. Uh Interestingly, the original plans for this store called for a dine-in restaurant inside of the store. So um, restaurants are somewhat problematic in COVID. It'll be interesting, like, if it opens in the next month or two, maybe it opens without the restaurant. We'll have to wait and see. Um, so then, so the, so we've got three stores, uh, freestanding stores in L.A., one freestanding store in Chicago. The fifth store is maybe the most interesting Another store in L.A. in uh, Laverne Hills, California, is going to be co-located with a coal store. So this is a 88,000 square foot coal store and 38,000 of those square feet will be dedicated to an Amazon fresh grocery store that basically will be like sharing a wall and a door with Kohl's. So so this is Kohl's downsizing from an 80,000 square foot store just for Kohl's to a 50,000 square feet for Kohl's. And having a, a new Amazon grocery store inside of the Coles, which, you know, potentially drives a lot more traffic because, you you know, you might shop at Coles, uh, you know, three to eight times a year, but you, you go grocery shopping 52 times a year. Yeah, you get some carrots and blue jeans. Exactly. So, so that uh, will certainly be interesting. Um, and then there's some other grocery stuff going on. Uh, you know, Amazon has had these go stores, which are convenience stores, or I would even say they're kind of grab and go restaurants um, for for a number of years now. Those stores tend to be really small, like like the smallest one, I think, is like 500 square feet. But they're normally like 1300 square feet to 2000 square feet or 2300 square feet. Uh, so they they've they've opened a grocery store that does use go. So this is a Amazon grocery go. 
Um, and it, it's in Capitol Hill, which is near Amazon's corporate headquarters. It's a 13,000 square foot store or 10,000 square foot store. So it's the biggest Go implementation out there. And it's been open for a while. They just this week opened a second Go grocery store in Redmond, which funnily enough is uh, Microsoft's backyard. Um, so potentially a bunch of Microsoft employees will now be shopping at this just walk out technology 13,000 square foot grocery store. So these stores are creeping up. They're still way smaller than the Amazon Fresh concept that that doesn't have Go. Uh, but, you know, we're starting to see Go in bigger use cases with more SKUs, which is interesting. And they have announced uh, that they're going to open a Go grocery store in Washington, D.C. as well. So that's a, a second new grocery store concept from, from uh, Amazon. And then a third concept uh, opened last week. Under the Whole Foods brand, they opened a Whole Foods online-only store in Brooklyn. So this is a Whole Foods store that you can't go in and shop. You can only order for curbside pickup or home delivery of your Whole Foods if you live in Brooklyn. Hmm. Um, So this was funny. When they made this announcement, I saw someone on Twitter that's like, wait, a grocery store you can't go into? So Amazon's opening a website? (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was pretty funny, but I, the rest of the world would call this a dark store, um, and so it'll it'll be interesting to see if that's a a trend that that uh, Whole Foods does more of as well. But so that's a lot of grocery stuff happening at Amazon, um, and you know their competitors aren't sitting still either. So this is a hot space to watch. It's a hot space to get in if you're if you're thinking about your next career in digital commerce. Yeah, I forget who said it, but they kind of characterized all this as Amazon thrashing around grocery and not really getting traction. Um, and my point was, this is how Amazon invents stuff, right? You and I both have a Amazon fire phone and, you know, they, they will keep trying at something until they get it right. Um, I guess with the phone, they stopped at, at B1. They realized that that was, uh, uh, you know, that wasn't going to work, but then that's what became, if they hadn't done that, they wouldn't have had echo, which was essentially V2 of the whole idea. So, I I feel like they've they've put a really big target on this uh and they or a bullseye I guess I should say and they're they're really focused on figuring out grocery and it's it must be super strategic because they're investing a ton here. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree. Like like it's interesting that they haven't won and and super succeeded already. Uh but they're you know, they're they're certainly in the fight. Their, their competitors are well-armed as well, so that's part of why it's fun. Like some of these other fights, you know, when you've got, um, you know, a billion square feet of fulfillment space more than everyone else, it's almost not that interesting of a competition. But, you know, this grocery is kind of a level playing field, and so it's it's fun to see what, like, Kroger, Walmart, and, and Amazon are all doing to figure it out. Yeah, and we're definitely going to talk a little bit about Walmart, but before we go, I saw today um, – that JCP, uh, JCPenney finally found a home and the, I, I was watching it from the stock market perspective and, uh, wall street was not happy because I guess, uh, whatever price they sold at did not result in any shareholders getting anything. It, it all went to debt. So what, what's your take on that? Yeah. So the, the eventual buyer, there were a lot of rumors or a lot of silly rumors I thought were stupid that Amazon would buy them for the property. Um, the buyer ended up being two mall operators, Simon Property Group and Brookfield Property Partners. Um, so, you know, the mall operators bought JCPenney. There's a play we've seen several times lately. Uh, you know, one of the, the vested interests the mall operators have is that if these guys liquidate, 
then the malls lose a paying uh, tenant, which would be a bummer. But even worse, if it's an anchor tenant like a JCPenney typically is, that triggers a lot of co-tenancy clauses. And so suddenly there'd be a lot of other retailers in those malls that would be entitled to renegotiate or even get out of their leases. And the mall operators really don't want that. So they, they had a uh, I'm sure they like the economics of buying JCPenney and hope to make it profitable. But on top of all that, they had this the, these additional incentives to to not let JCPenney fall into liquidation. And and so I, like what's been interesting to me is I feel like the internet has lost its mind over this. Like they're all talking about how like wait is this you know if if the mall operator owns all the retailers is that fair competition in the mall and what is this you know what you know what does this mean for for monopolies and malls and all the, you know, and it's, it's, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't think it's, uh, that big a deal. Um, I, I don't, you know, again, we've, we've seen this with a bunch of apparel retailers. This is the biggest retailer that these guys are, are, um, biting off, but I, I, it doesn't feel like a game changer to me. I'm, I'm grateful that all those employees at JCPenney, you know, their jobs are safe for at least for a little while. Yeah, and it is – we need to get a guest on the show that can give us kind of a view of this Simon Property Group buying everything because they're they're going big on it. It's not just an experiment at this point, obviously. No, no, no. It was, it, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's over a billion-dollar deal. The, the thing that makes this appeal – like, these are real value acquisitions for Simon, right? Like, so I don't know if JCPenney penciled out exactly like this, but all the other acquisitions, the – Simon and and their partners, in this case, Brookfield, sometimes it's been authentic brand. Sometimes it's been all three of them in the case of Forever 21. uh, The price they paid for this retailer was less than the value of the inventory that they acquired. Right. So in a way, it's a no lose. Like if you if you know you can liquidate the inventory for the value you paid, um, then everything on top of that's gravy. The rent you save, if, if you know, if you are able to to save the retailer and get them back to profitability. Like those are all gravies, but the downside is pretty low. If you know, you could liquidate the inventory and get your money back. Yeah. And then uh, pivoting back to grocery, Walmart announced uh, Walmart plus what, what was your take on that? Yeah. Uh, uh, the jury's out. Uh, you know, people have been talking about this forever. Jason Del Rey like broke a story that this was coming a long time ago. And then every month he had to write how it got delayed. Um, and so I'm sure he was grateful that it finally <laughs> went went live. Um, so this is a membership program from Walmart. Uh, uh, Janie White, um, uh, uh, Janie said, uh, who is our guest on episode 200, who's the chief customer officer there. Uh, this is in her, her portfolio. So she's done a bunch of interviews about this. And she starts out every interview saying, like, this is not Prime. Like, you don't need to compare it to Prime. We're not trying to compete with Prime. Um, but, of course, anyone that looks at this, is instantly going to compare it to Prime, right? And that's the way all the journalists are talking about it. So it's basically a $100 a year membership, $98 a year or 13 bucks a month, and you get unlimited free deliveries. Um, you get a couple other benefits. You get fuel discounts. A bunch of Walmart stores have gas stations, and, and depending on the configuration, you get up to 5% off on your gas. And then they're activating some unique in-store tools for you that aren't available to the general shopping public. And so the first tool that they're enabling is scan and go in Walmart. So what this means is if you're a Walmart Plus customer, 
You can walk into a Walmart, uh, fire up the Walmart app on your phone. You can scan a couple items and walk out of the store without having to get in line or go through checkout. So very similar to what we just talked about with the dash cart, only you do it on your phone. Uh, interesting fact here, Walmart piloted this before in Walmart uh, for the general shopper, and then they turned it off. And uh, um, so we don't know why they turned it off. Now they're just making it available to Walmart Plus users. Uh, this amenity, as I already mentioned, is available in all the Sam's Club stores to any Sam's Club member. So so three benefits, uh, but it's not – at the moment, the benefits aren't a heck of a lot different from uh, an earlier sort of shipping uh, program that Walmart had. So it, it, it feels very incremental, and the, I'm saying the jury's out. It, like in the long term – what are the exact delivery benefits you get? How many products are available for delivery? How fast are they available for delivery? Like that's the great unknown with Walmart's delivery service. Uh, how meaningful are the fuel discounts? And what you know tools do you get in the Walmart store? And how va- and how valuable are are those to you? So, I to me, it's neither a game changer at the moment, um, or or dead on arrival. Um, it is like. The future of retail is, you know, creating this this sticky recurring revenue and kind of transitioning from being a retailer to a platform. So uh, it certainly makes sense to me that Walmart's trying it. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see how much adoption they get. But to me, this is mostly about um, keeping the Walmart customer and protecting the wallet share of the best customers more so than it is conquesting new customers to Walmart. Yeah, I, I'll throw a shout out to the fuel discount. We um. So I have an electric car, so this doesn't apply to me, but to, to my wife and the rest of the family, the, we shop at, uh, Harris Teeter, which is a Kroger brand and the, they have a fuel point system there and, you know, you can save 30 to cents, 50 cents a gallon, and you can either go to their branded gas or they're partnered with some BPs and other stations. And there's, there's this, it actually works really well. I mean, it's built a, you know, uh, a loyalty kind of a thing there that I was a little surprised about, but people love to save money on gas. Oh, for sure. I, I would say they disproportionately seek, seek deals on gas and it's not going to surprise anyone. Walmart's a super competitive gas retailer anyway. And so this discount like is pretty meaningful to people that want that deal. Um, as we're recording the show, it's the first NFL game of the year and Walmart's running a big uh, ad during the game promoting Walmart plus. So that's kind of interesting. Um, keeping you from your your Walmart ad. I'm okay. I've seen it. Uh, <laughs> and then the the you know small but exciting news is that uh, Walmart is now delivering e-commerce orders via drones. And I feel like your backyard is their first test market. Do I have that right, Scott? Yeah, they're in a little city here called Fayetteville. I don't know why they would have chosen that one, um, but yeah, uh, and they're using an Israeli drone format, which is called the Flytrex. Um, and it goes six miles and can carry 6.6 pounds. Unfortunately, that is outside of my range. That city's about 45 minute drive. So maybe 50 miles away from here. Um, so unfortunately I'm not gonna be able to test that for listeners right now, but, uh, I'll have to dream up a trip to Fayetteville to an address where I can receive a drone delivery and see how it works. Yeah. Well, I just to remind you a lot of, um, Walmarts have a McDonald's in them, and 6.6 pounds would be about eight Big Macs. So just mm, something. Bring my son. He likes likes a couple Big Macs. There you go. 
Cool. One of the uh, news items that I was excited to see, um, and I'll kind of bucket this into a eBay CEO starting to have a new impact. And, and just as backstory, uh, so first of all, I've I've been a huge fan of eBay for a long time. I, I'm a big collector and, and love the collector origins of eBay. And it's been a little sad to see the stewardship of eBay kind of it's gone sideways, um, you know, over you know the last uh, certainly the last leadership, and then uh, at the end of the last leader's tenure, there was a lot of controversy, and uh, we've talked about it a little bit on the show. Some really weird stuff went on there. Um, but you know, uh, so Jamie is the new CEO's name. I would say his last name, but I'm going to butcher it, so I'll just call him Jamie. Um, he was at eBay for eight years, kind of early in his career, and then left, uh, and then went to Barnes and Noble, uh, and then had a long career at Walmart, where he started out in Sam's, worked his way up leading Sam's. So you've probably met him in that context, I would imagine. Do you yeah, know? You Jamie in a way. Okay, there you go. I knew you would know it better than I would. I always want to say one at the end, uh, and that messes me up. <laughs> uh, then he got promoted from the Sam's focus to be COO for all of e-commerce, and then he joined. Uh, got recruited by eBay to be the new CEO in April of this year. So we're just starting to, you know, he's kind of got his sea legs and starting to make some changes. Um, First of all, they've been running a content campaign that's been really good, kind of back to the roots kind of thing. Um, And then one of the things that's been a little sad to see is some of these niche marketplaces picking off areas of eBay that was their their kind of bread and butter. Um, One of those was collectible luxury goods like, Louis Vuitton bags, uh, not my personal category, but definitely there's a lot of collectors that love that stuff. Um, and the real real came out and really kind of, uh, amongst some other players, but I, would, I think real real is by far the biggest one. Um, they're now public kind of took that category away from eBay and, and kind of wrapped it in authenticity and more guarantees and a more high touch guaranteed model, which, uh, obviously resonated with the luxury space. Uh, so this week, eBay announced an authenticity guarantee program. Um, not a lot of details out yet, but essentially, I kind of took it as a net positive that they're, you know, they're, they're kind of waking up and saying, hey, this was ours to lose. We lost it. Now, how are we going to kind of either stop the bleeding and or get back some of this this product that that has leaked to a competitor at this point? So so I'm watching eBay closely. I think it's going to take a while, but I really like what I'm seeing from from Jamie's, Jamie's tenure so far. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I feel like the the transition to digital because of COVID has got you know some renewed attention on eBay as well. So they you know are probably in a in a good situate uh, good position to launch some new services. Yeah. And then we wanted to use uh, the last little bit of the show to talk a little bit about holiday um, and what we're we're kind of what we're feeling and hearing out there. We don't have any of the formal forecasts out yet, uh, so those tend to come more towards the Halloween side of things. Uh, usually, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. NRF kicks it off, and then you have like a Comscore Forester and a bunch of others kind of coming out. Um, it's gonna this is gonna be the hardest year to call. Um, so part of it ties into this discussion that we won't get back into is the shape of the COVID recovery, right? So um, that's obviously the overlaying kind of factor. Um, but what have you, what are your either personal thoughts or what are you hearing about holiday externally? Yeah. So a uh, very frequent conversation amongst my retail clients. Everyone is on, I would characterize it as everyone is on pins and needles. Like there's, there's a lot of hypotheses that it could be a, a decent holiday. Um, 
there, you know, there's some some reasons for optimisms, but there's also some reasons for concern. And and uh, it's less predictable holiday season than we've ever had in my lifetime. So so folks are are really nervous. And the sort of unofficial beginning of the holiday season is this back to school season that we're in right now. And I can tell you that the the early indications from back to school are not super encouraging. So uh, a lot of the retailers that traditionally have a big back to school bump have said that things have been a little slow so far. Um, I'm not sure that that's indicative of how people are going to spend for true holiday because there's a variety of reasons back to school is different than say Christmas. Um, Obviously, a lot of schools didn't open this year. Apparel is a big chunk of back-to-school sales, and apparel is particularly impacted by COVID. So um, the back-to-school feedback is a bummer, but I don't think it's conclusive. Uh, what is going to be interesting to me is the normal cadence of Hollywood of uh, Hollywood of holiday is likely to be disrupted. Like normally, we have this big in-person day on on uh, Black Friday which is actually like if, if you don't care about channels and you just look at total sales, we sell the most stuff on Friday and then we sell the most stuff online that following Monday. Um, and, you know, we sell 20 percent of the stuff we sell for the whole year over these two months. Uh, but those, you know, those two days or um, I think you were one of the first people to kind of coin the cyber five talking about that Thursday through Monday period. Um, you know, that that used to be a huge spike in sales. And this year, I, I don't think it's going to be quite as prominent um, because a few things have changed. Number one, a bunch of retailers have decided to close on Thanksgiving. So Walmart, uh, in my you know opinion, sort of bravely announced that they would close on Thanksgiving, let all their employees uh, stay home with their families. And then a bunch of other big retailers immediately followed suit. So Target, Best Buy, Dick's, um, Kohl's all announced they'd close. Before this year, there was kind of an arms race the other way. Like everyone would announce they're opening an hour earlier and they kept, you know, they, they crept from Friday to Thursday and they're, they, they were opening more stores earlier, making more employees work over, over Thanksgiving. Um, so this is a nice trend. Ordinarily, that would mean that Friday sales would be even bigger because you'd be shifting all these Thursday sales to Friday. But the, the traditional sales we have on Friday, I don't think are going to happen this year. Like normally you have all these doorbusters and you're, what you're trying to do is get a bunch of people to stand in line and stampede their way into the store as soon as it opens Friday morning. Uh, this year, those stores are only allowed 25% of the occupancy that they've had in past years. And so there's very little incentive to have crazy deals to get people queued up to have to wait to get in the store all day. Um, some of my clients have said, like, probably don't need to water the grass if it's raining. And so I don't think we're going to see these big doorbuster deals. I think that's going to slow down Friday sales. Uh, Home Depot is actually making an ad campaign around it. And so they've announced Black Friday is canceled. Um, and what they mean by that is they're not having a bunch of sales on that specific day. And they're going to spread their holiday promotions out over two months uh, starting in October. Target is also starting its promotions in October Prime Day, which is normally a summer holiday, is pushed to sometime in October. And so that's probably going to start the holiday promotion season for Amazon. And so I just feel like the combination of all these things, um, there's there's good arguments for and against how much total spending we'll have over holiday. But I have a feeling it's going to be spread out a lot more evenly around this whole two-month period than it is those five days. What do you think? 
Yeah, so uh, I'm on record that we're having this V-shaped recovery. I think it's going to line up um, to be in the holiday. I do think stores will have limited capacity. Everyone's already pre-announced they'll close Black Friday. I think it's going to push it all online, and the retailers are going to try to spread it out, but it's probably not going to work because human nature. Um, And then I think it's going to coalesce around Cyber Monday. So I think, I think, you know, the, the store days of Thanksgiving and, and Black Friday, which have had increased online sales, but, but pale in comparison to Cyber Monday, I, I think I think they're going to go online and, and be way, way up online. But then Cyber Monday is just going to be this huge day because it's going to effectively replace the, the Black Friday excitement that we have. I think they're going to hold their promotions for that day. They're really juicy ones. And consumers, there's going to be this game of chicken between consumers and retailers, and the consumers are going to win, and and they're going to try to start early. You know, we, we've even seen, I think it was Costco that's famously already got Christmas out right after Labor Day. Um, that's not going to work, but I think, you know, the the that Cyber Monday is going to be really, really big. Hmm. So- and I think... I think we'll see a lot of sites go down because I don't think they're going to be ready for all that too. I was going to say, we always do, but I think it's going to be like orders. You know, I think we're going to see like a really big problem there. Yeah. No, I mean, one of the things people are legitimately concerned about is the traffic we're seeing every day right now is very similar to, to what we normally would see on cyber Monday. So the magic question is if cyber Monday is incrementally as much larger from the baseline this year as typical, then nobody's site has ever prepared for that before. And the holiday readiness prep that people did last uh, February to get ready for this is not going to be adequate. And so for sure, uh, a bunch of sites would fold. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I I, I think there's enough uncertainty um, that, you know, it would be dangerous to assume that anyone knows. But the I would argue it was already a trend that a lot of Cyber Monday sales was shifting earlier in that week. Like, you know, as mobile became a thing, people were shopping online on Thanksgiving. They're shopping over the weekend. And this year, when way less people are going to get on a plane and be spending Thanksgiving with their extended family, um, I think a lot of the online shopping is going to start even earlier. And with stores not open and people not going for doorbusters, I just think a lot of the traditional Monday spike is going to get pulled back. And per your point, the only thing that would really change that is if uh, retailers are way more promotional on Monday than they are on Friday, for example. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, so that's going to be interesting. I mean, it is like the there are new products coming out. So, uh, you know, as, as you well know, the, the video game platforms uh, have a new format war this year. So you've got the Sony PS5 and the Microsoft Xbox Series X. Um, so, you know, in some ways, like, that could goose holiday. The iPhone, you know, is going to get released late. And there's some, you know, it's the 5G version. So uh, you could see way more um, of a, a super cycle of those sales, which could be interesting. Uh, I will tell you, retailers are nervous. A lot of the... Um, sort of COVID subsidy dollars are wearing off. Um, you know, the it doesn't look like there's going to be a second stimulus check. Um, the a lot of unemployment benefits could actually expire for a lot of people in a lot of states, and so there's there's some anxiety over what the consumer's status and you know uh, will be for holiday. And at the moment, while spending is high, consumer confidence is not high. So 
it's anybody's guess what happens in terms of of uh uh you know how that that confidence uh impacts holiday spending so it's it's uh very uncertain it's uh we're gonna have to watch it closely and i'm gonna be way more interested in the the sort of interim data sources we get like when adobe starts reporting actual sales that they see on websites more so than the than the surveys that like nrf and comscore are going to put out yeah and then um uh an upgrade cycle i don't think you mentioned that that we're excited about is the iphone 12 so um i've been reading a lot of reports about this and i know you're less excited about the functionality uh but i'm super excited about it and uh the the analyst reports i've been reading they'll do this really interesting analysis of the existing installed base and you can look at different traffic and see you know what who has i don't know what's the oldest living iphone i think it's a four i think there's still some fours out there but yeah so so their analysis is there's more old iphones than ever before in use um and then we have covid so uh you know a lot of people are spending more time on their phone and then the other one is there's these carrier cycles where you know if you aren't on the fancy iphone upgrade program like you are where you get a new one every year you're on more of a two-year cycle with your 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 carrier um and then they look at that and there's a big alignment that happens here where you've got covid um so more usage more people probably interested in upgrading their phone uh, largest old, old, the oldest iPhone base ever, and then some alignment of the carrier upgrade cycle, and they're they're calling it an iPhone 12 super cycle. So September 15th uh, is the day they're going to uh, allegedly roll out the phones, and then they've also announced that, uh, or it's leaked that, unlike previous years where you could kind of order and get them very quickly, uh, due to COVID, the supply chain did delay when they're going to be available, so that's going to push them into the October timeframe. So. Uh, a lot of stuff going to be going on around holiday this year. Yeah, yeah, it's totally going to be interesting. I've also heard interesting things about, you mentioned the supply chain for Apple. All the supply chain issues are going to be interesting too, right? So there's one school of thought, um, oh man, there's a bunch of inventory that we didn't get to sell all year. There's a bunch of unsold apparel. It's going to be the mother of all clearance sales. TJ Maxx is going to have to you know, open tents for all the, the cheap clothes that's going to be heavily discounted. But I've also heard from a lot of retailers that no, the the supply chain guys reacted super quick and cut off all their supply chains to try to protect themselves, and so there's going to be constrained inventory, and there there might not you know be enough product to meet demand in a lot of categories, and so I like hard to say how all that nets out. Yeah, yeah. So then, what's your bottom line? Is it going to be? Um, overall retail down compared to last year, flat. No, you agree, I, e-commerce will be a pretty big surge. It'll be, you think we'll keep that 45% kind of trend that, that we've been seeing? Uh, I do. I So I, I think when you look at the, we'll call it Q4 or the holiday quarter, the I think that the top line numbers are going to be pretty good. Like I, I think uh, overall spending on holiday will be pretty good. I, it'll shift heavily to digital so you're, you know, I think you, it's totally reasonable to expect another 45% e-commerce year over year growth um, for the whole industry. But I think that top line number is going to mask the fact that there are just going to be a clear bifurcation of winners and losers. And, and you know, I think games and electronics and, and uh, uh, home is going to do really well. I think uh, apparel and department stores um, are really gonna gonna struggle so um 
well, you know, I, 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 I think net net good holiday, but, but man, uh, you know, I think there are going to be some categories where it's going to be really tough. Got it. What about you? Uh, I'm going to say e-commerce accelerates from the 45%. So I think we get up to the sixties because a lot of that brick and mortar is just got to come online. If the stores are going to be closed during those key days. Wow. I don't think they're going to get people in the stores to get excited if they don't, you know, have some promotional stuff and it's going to back it up into you. Cyber Monday. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, totally reasonable guess. You are putting a lot of faith in the IT guys to keep those systems running to get get 65% year over year growth. But I hope it happens. Yeah. Thank goodness for the cloud. Exactly. Um, and Scott, that's going to be a good place to leave it because we've used up our allotted time. As always, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd finally jump over to iTunes and give us that five-star review we've been begging for. Um, we're looking forward to seeing a bunch of you live on all these events coming up this month. Until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 